Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. The reason why anybody endeavors to take a class or to learn a skill or to do uh, anything that that, that, uh, lends itself towards productivity, um, the reason why they do that is ultimately because of the benefits that are associated with it. So uh, if you want to learn something, you're not necessarily interested in the facts. Uh, Those facts are just steps in order to get you where you're trying to go in the bigger picture of your life. So you want the prize. There's a reason why you do what you do. Uh, If you take a class on nutrition, you don't care necessarily uh, what a carbohydrate or a protein or a fat is, what it does, that is information and it's useful to you. But in and of itself, it, it really means nothing. Who cares? Um, but the benefits of having the entire picture is for your health. It's for your energy. It's for your strength. It's the way that you feel, the way that you function. And so you take that class ultimately because of what you're going to get out of it. When we train our kids, the purpose of training up our kids is not so that we can just uh, give them a test and say, do you know your ABCs? Ultimately, our end game is that we want to set them up for a blessed life. We want them to have a prosperous future. We want them to be happy. We want them to be productive. And so what we're teaching them along the way is all lending towards that ultimate end uh, of seeing their, their, their future. Now, uh, all of that to say is that anything that we would endeavor to experience or enjoy, there's a process. There's a process involved in getting us there. Uh, success in any area of our lives doesn't happen by accident. We all know that. Nobody just ends up successful uh, for nothing. It doesn't happen. There's a process. And, and there's a reason why success starts with sucks. <laughs> because sometimes the process isn't necessarily pleasant. It's not automatic and it's not necessarily easy. And so today as we look at this portion of James, uh, we're going to see that there is, first of all, a a path, and then there is a process, but ultimately there is a prize. And so let's look at uh, starting in verse 2, and let's see what James has to say to us today. He begins by saying, uh, my brethren, and I I so appreciate that, because of all the words that James could have used there, he could have said my children, he could have said my disciples, my pupils, my students. Uh, He doesn't say any of that. He says my brethren, and I appreciate it because he's saying I'm not over you, and I'm not necessarily even better than you. All I am is an older version of you with a little bit of distance perspective, meaning that I've walked on the path that you're on a little bit longer than you have, and from where I am now, I can see more clearly where you are now, and I want to give you a little bit of advice. And if you look at the path right where you are right now, you're going to see that my footprints are there because I was there once before you. And so uh, my, my agenda is that I'm simply telling you what I would tell myself if I could go back and, and have a conversation with a younger version. And I appreciate that uh, because I need that. Off, I need an older brother, and that's the position that James is taking. And he, so he says, my brethren, he says, count it 
all joy. Now, those words there, uh, count it, some translations use the word reckon, and what it literally means is to uh, give the benefit of the doubt. In other words, it's not there yet, but you're putting it in your account even though it hasn't been deposited. You're, you're standing upon something by faith even though you can't see why yet. You're reckoning something to be true. You can't understand it fully. You can't see the whole picture <clears throat> but you're just saying, I- I'm going to do it. And so to reckon something means that it's not here yet, but it's coming. It's not here yet, but it's already yours. The money hasn't landed in the account yet, but you can reckon it as good as gold that it's, that it's there. It already exists. And so he's, he, he is acknowledging that we do not yet have the thing that he's telling us that we will have. But he's telling us to reckon it as though we already do. And so what is it that we're reckoning? He says, count it or reckon it all joy. And so the thing that we're reckoning is the joy, pure joy. All joy means pure joy. It means complete joy. It means unsplintered joy. And I want you to understand that this is the end game behind the process that we're going through. This is the kind of the theme, if you would, of this whole segment, this section, is this is what we're heading for. We're heading for joy. This is what God wants for you. This is the desire. This is the aim, is that you would have a pure, unsplintered, and complete joy. So we're to count it all joy when, and I I hate that word because I wish it said if, because that would mean that maybe it won't happen. <laughs> but if it says when, then you know it's going to happen. It's, it's on the schedule. Uh, it's coming, whether you like it or not. He says, when you fall, and, and the word fall just literally means happen upon. It means it's, it comes upon you. It comes into your life. It's there in the path. When you fall into diverse, that's different kinds of temptations. And the word temptations there is not uh, just the simple classical sense of like being tempted with something, but the word literally means testings, trials, difficulties, tribulations, challenges. And so he's saying consider it or reckon it, put it in your account as a reason to rejoice when you happen upon all different types of challenges, tribulations, and trials. Now, automatically, he's got my attention, not because I'm excited about what he's telling me is in my future, but because I am interested in understanding how tribulations, trials, and challenges can equate into joy in a way where I should just be joyful that it's happening, because I don't understand that. That doesn't jive with my human nature or with what I try every day to avoid. I'm trying to avoid trials, and you're telling me uh, to, to embrace them with joy. Well, here's why, verse 3. He says, knowing this. And so here is the knowledge that will allow me to reckon. This is the perspective that I need or the reason that I need that's going to help me to do this. Knowing this. That the trying or the testing of your faith, okay? Mark that word faith because the faith is the path that we're on. He says that the the testing of your faith works patience. Now, I don't have to define that word for you. Patience, unfortunately, means patience. 
But let patience have her perfect work. Why? That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It means lacking absolutely nothing. Okay, so there are three words upon which this introduction hinges. The first, of course, is the word joy, which is the prize. The second is the word testing or temptations or trials, which is the process And then finally, the word faith that he uses there um, in verse 3, and that is the path that we are on. And, And those three words are important to understand. There's the prize, the process, and the path. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, First of all, I want to talk to you about the path, that word faith that he uses there, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. Your faith, when he uses that word, It means what you believe. That's what our faith is. If you believe something, then you have faith in whatever it is that you believe in. Now, what you believe will ultimately be tested or proved. That's what he's saying, because it's the trial or the testing of your faith. So what you believe, what you and I believe, not what we say we believe, but what we really believe in our heart of hearts is going to be revealed not by our profession, but by our actions. Our actions are going to prove what we really believe. Now, our actions, what we do, are our responses to circumstances, situations, and events. So something happens in my life, and then I act in response to that, and that reveals what I ultimately believe. That's what does it. So what is our faith? If James is talking about our faith or the Christian faith or the biblical faith, our faith is Jesus Christ, bottom line. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So we believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sins, primarily, primal. That's the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith. That's where it begins. That's the beginning of our faith. But Jesus also said that he was the way and the truth, Which means that Jesus is more than just our salvation. He is also our leader and our guide. A way is a path, right? And so our faith is what he says or what God says is the right way. And so our faith is God's way and God's word as being right. Now, there's a proverb that says that the word of the Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words. They're like silver that have been refined in a fire seven times. Meaning that every word that God has spoken is absolutely tried, perfected, and true. And so our faith, or the profession of our faith, is that God's word and God's ways are the right way to live. That's our faith. We believe that. We believe that if God says this is how life works, then that's how life works. And if this is the way that we're to do things, then that's the way we're to do things. And we believe that that's right. That's what we say. That's our faith. And so God's ways are not creeds that we profess, but rather they're paths that we go in and that we walk in. They're things that we do. Now, all of us in here have this gift that God has given to us of free will. Meaning that we get to choose which path we're going to take. We get to choose the actions 
that we're going to do in response to the things that happen in our lives. God doesn't take that away from us. He doesn't force us to choose his path. Thus, for us to walk in his ways or to do things God's way, that is an act of faith. Because we are believing that if we do things the way God tells us to do things, that that's going to lead to the joy that he promises that he's going to give to us. Now, interestingly, when he talks about the joy and the uh, being perfect and complete and lacking nothing in verse 4, there, there's a, a promise that's attached to that, okay? When we do things God's way, we believe that that's going to lead to a blessed life, or I'm going to call it today a blissed life. And here's why. Because when we do things God's way, we believe that that's going to lead us to blessing. That's the B. And I, yeah. The word blessing means happy. And we know that God is desiring that our joy would be full, that we are perfect and entire, lacking nothing. And so we believe that if we do things God's way, that that's going to be the path to a blessed life. We're going to have a happy life. Not only that, but if we do things God's way, we're also going to have light. Light in the spiritual sense means that we're going to have vision. We're going to understand and have perspective of our lives and of our paths and where we're going and what we're doing and why. We're going to understand our purpose and our reason. We're going to see the reason that the world exists, the reason why God placed us here. We're going to see his plan in the big picture. And we're just going to have a general sense of knowing where we are, why we are, and what we're doing. We're going to have light. If we walk in God's ways, we're also going to have an insulated life, meaning that God's ways, there's a safety in them. That when we walk in God's ways, we're protected from a lot of harm that would come to us otherwise. God's ways are safe. They're secure. The narrow path is a place that's out of the reach of the enemy. And so we, we, we aren't vulnerable to a lot of difficult things because we're walking. We believe that. And so there's insulation. There's also success. If we do things God's way, it's going to work. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the word of the Lord. And it says that whatsoever he does will prosper. In Joshua, when Moses was handing the baton to Joshua, he said, meditate in the word of God. Take heed and be diligent to do it, for then will you be successful and prosperous in all that you do. That's what David said to Solomon. It's what Jesus says to us. We believe it. That's our profession, that if we do things God's way, there's going to be success in our path. doesn't mean it's going to be without difficulty, but we're going to get there. And then finally, there is a surety. Because God's word is sure and God's word is guaranteed. Not one word of his falls to the ground. God says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word won't pass away. And so if God gives us a promise, there's a guarantee connected to that promise that the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So we believe, that's our faith, that if we do things God's way, that it's going to lead to joy. There's going to be bliss. There's going to be blessing. There's going to be completion. That's our profession. That's what we believe. Now, 
To walk in his ways then is an act of faith because I'm believing if I do things God's way that that's what it's ultimately going to lead to. And so when God says forgive, I forgive. When God says surrender, I surrender. When he says trust, I trust. When he says give, I give. When he says wait, I wait. When he says abstain, I abstain. I'm doing that as an act of faith because I believe that it's going to lead to the joy that God says he's going to give. Now, here comes the monkey wrench. Because what James tells us in this process part of things is that faith is going to be tested. The trial of your faith that what you believe is going to be tested, which means that God is going to allow or even sometimes ordain a situation or a circumstance, something to happen in your life wherein you must choose an action in response. And the question will be, will you do it God's way Or will you do it some other way? That's the test. Will you act in accordance with what you believe or say you believe? Or will you act in a different way? That's the question. And what I do when the trial comes reveals what I really believe. So I might say all day that, yes, I believe the word of God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe what he says. I can say that all day. But what I do when the trial comes, that reveals what I really believe, what's in the heart. There's a passage in John chapter 5 when Jesus got into it with the religious rulers. And they were questioning who he was, and they were, you know, trying to trap him in his words. And Jesus says, you guys know nothing. He basically looked at these religious, respected men with their high hats and their robes and crowns and jewels and, you know, all the respect of the people. And he said, you guys have never heard God's voice at any time. And you don't have his truth living in you. And he says, and I know that because you don't recognize who I am. If you were of God, you would know who I am. That's what Jesus says to these guys. And then he says, search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, but they testify of me. If you knew God, you would recognize me. And then Jesus said this. I love it. It's John chapter 5, verse 44. He said this. He said, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? In other words, what Jesus was saying is that your actions are revealing That what you believe is not what you say you believe. You say you believe in God, but your actions are showing otherwise. And I can see it just in the fact that you do everything you do just to be seen by people and you don't even realize that God is watching. You have no faith at all, Jesus would say to them. So it isn't what we say, it's what we do that reveals what we ultimately believe. And that's what the test does. The trial of my faith reveals what I actually believe. And so what is God's way? God's way is that human relationships are one man and one woman in marriage for life. That's God's word. That's what he says. That's what I believe. God says that's going to lead to blessing and bliss. That's where joy is going to be filled because that's the path that he's ordained. But then the test comes. 
And I go through a season or a time in my marriage where this is not bliss. And this doesn't feel like blessing. And it doesn't even look like this could in the long term turn into that ultimately. It's a test. What am I going to do when that trial comes? Because what I do is going to reveal whether or not I actually believe it. Am I going to fold in my marriage? Or am I going to work to fix my marriage? Am I going to sow life and get underneath it and deal with the me or the self or whatever the issue is? Am I going to believe and persevere and pray? Or am I going to say, ah, forget this. This is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. Do I believe God's word or not? God's truth is that he's good. God's truth is that he cares about us and that he is intricately involved in even the smallest details of our life. That's God's truth. That's what he says. That's my faith. That's what I believe. But my faith is going to be tested. The test is going to come. And so the test comes, and I go through a situation or a season where it feels like God is distant or uninvolved or apathetic or maybe even in opposition to me. God's opposing me. He's against me. He's far from me. His word says that he cares. His word says that he's for me and not against me. His word says, but that's not what my life looks like right now. My faith is being tested. And so what action is going to come out of that test? Am I going to continue to trust and hold on and wait and persevere? Or am I going to withdraw and back away and become independent and self-reliant because I think, well, God can't be trusted. That might be true for everyone else, but it's not true for me. See, what I believe is being revealed by my actions. God's way that he says in the word is that we're to live righteously. According to God's word, holiness and happiness are inseparable. Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above his brethren because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You cannot separate holiness and happiness. That's God's way. So my profession, what I say I believe is that holiness and happiness go hand in hand, that I'm to live righteously, I'm to do things God's way, which means that I'm to abstain from certain things that maybe my flesh desires to do. I'm to have control over the appetites of my body, not be controlled by the appetites of my body. That's what it means to live righteously. And so a test comes, because my faith is going to be tested. And so there's going to be a time where there is an opportunity for me to do something unrighteous at the same exact time as there's a desire in me to do something unrighteous. And it's a test. What do I believe? Do I believe that holiness and happiness are absolutely inseparable? Or do I believe that happiness is just doing whatever I want? How I respond when the temptation comes is going to reveal what I ultimately believe. God's way, here's another one. God's way is that his voice comes through his word. The discerning of God's voice comes as I immerse myself in his word. The Bible also tells us that his hand is moved by my prayer. So his will and voice is revealed through his word. His hand is moved by my prayer. 
That's what he says. That's his way. That's my profession. It's what I say I believe. But then the test comes. And the test comes when I'm, I'm reading his word, but it's just so dry. I, I'm trying to read the Bible, but I'm just not getting anything out of it. I used to, or at times I do, or when I hear a message sometimes, I, I, it comes alive. But when I just read the Bible by myself, it just seems so dry and I'm not getting anything out of it. And it just seems so closed off to me. And prayer, man, I, I pray, but it seems like my prayers are unanswered. They're just bouncing off the ceiling. It feels like I'm not even connecting with God at all. And you know what? Really, there's so much going on in my life right now. I can't really make or find the time for his word or to pray. See, the test comes and what I do reveals, do I believe what I say I believe or don't I? Do I continue? Do I hold on or do I withdraw and let go? See, the trial reveals what I actually believe. The testing of my faith. Faith is tested and thus it's revealed. Now, nobody gets it right every time. Nobody. We all fail the tests. And that's okay because God knows. We all get discouraged. We all withdraw. We all blow it. We all do the wrong thing in our marriage. We all feel like quitting at times. That's just real. That's just real. God knows that. He's not going like, oh, they failed again. No, that's part of the process. Because what happens is when I, when I fail the test, there is no bliss. When I fail the test, I'm more miserable than I was when I was in the test wishing I wasn't being tested. When I go the wrong way, life begins to crumble and fall apart. And then what happens is I repent because the Spirit is convicting, and I come back, and I get myself back in the right place again. And God says, okay, let's do this again. And then we go along. And that's why he says, patience, right? He says, let patience have her perfect work. There's something going on while I'm being tested that I'm believing that if I hold on here, that I'm going to end up in the place where I see the fulfillment of what God meant when he said joy, bliss, blessing, light, safety, success, surety. It's going to work out. Patience is the muscle that's being worked when I'm being tested. If you want to build abs, you do planks. If you want to build legs, you do squats. If you want to build patience, you do testings <laughs> and trials, and you hang in there. You ever do planks? Rocky did like an eight-minute plank or something like that. <laughs> you know, like ridiculous. You know, I do like 60 seconds, and I'm like, you know, dying, you know. The idea is you're in the trial. You're being tested. It's not pleasant. Hang in there. Stay in there. And let patience have her perfect work. Don't give up in the thing because what's going to happen is it's going to make you perfect and entire, lacking nothing. That's what James says at the end of the, the passage there. He says, let patience have her perfect work so that you can be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. So that you come to the place where what you read and say you profess becomes what you are in the deepest part of you because you've lived long enough to see that what God says really is right. To where I'm immovable and I can't be moved. See, if you're lacking something, you might be sound in like seven out of eight areas of your Christian life. 
But if you're lacking that eighth thing, if you're weak in one area, what you're doing is you're giving a foothold to the devil where he can get in and just wreck everything else. When you look at when you look at David and Solomon, David and Solomon were amazing leaders and they had amazing faith and they had amazing gifts and talents and they were graced in, in such amazing ways. But both of them had the same weakness is that there, there was sexual immorality. They were lacking something. They were lacking sexual purity in their hearts and in their minds. And do you see how with both of them, Satan was able to get in in that one area where there was a weakness and mess everything else up. You look at King Saul or King Uzziah, or there were others in the Bible, and, and they were incredibly gifted and advantaged and, and prominent, and God raised them up and gave them privilege and blessing. He did so much for them. But there was an area, there was an area, there was one where they were lacking, where they were wanting. They were prideful. And they didn't have humility. They didn't understand the context of what it meant to be a servant leader. And so because of their pride, Satan was able to get in and mess up everything else they had good going on. And so God allows difficulty, trials, temptations in this process of building us up so that we can be complete, lacking nothing, so that when the joy comes, so that when the blessing and the blissing is there, there's no place for Satan to say, yeah, but watch this. They're good in seven out of eight areas, and I just let them bounce around. But just wait. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get in. I'll get in through their greed or their covetousness. I'll get in through their immorality or their lust. Eventually, I'm going to get in and watch what I do once I get in on the inside. And God says, I'm going to fortify you completely. I'm going to work on every side, and there's going to be a completion. Perfection doesn't mean that we're perfect. Perfection means that we're complete. Our armor is complete. And thus, when the joy comes, the joy is full. It's all joy. All joy. That's what he's ultimately moving us towards, lacking nothing. We say, well, what do I do when I'm in the middle of a trial? When I'm in the middle of something difficult or a test and I'm miserable and I can't figure out what's going on, what do I do when everything inside of me is saying, what's going on here, God? Why are you allowing this? Where are you in the middle of this? Here's what you do. It's in verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. Watch this. He says, if any of you lack wisdom. Do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is action steps. Wisdom is not knowledge. He doesn't say if any of you lack knowledge. See, knowledge is a why. God, why is this happening? Okay, that would be knowledge. If any of you lack knowledge, he doesn't say that. He says if any of you lack wisdom, wisdom and action are inseparable. In other words, I need to know what to do right now with this woman or with this job or this boss. I need to know what to do right now with this pain, with this sickness, I need to know what to do with this issue, with this mental illness. I need to know what to do with this child who's driving me up the wall. I need to know what to do with them. I'm lacking wisdom. What do I do? He says, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It doesn't rebuke or or chase away. And it says that it shall be given to him. In other words, that when I'm going through the trial, I'm to ask God, God, how do I love my wife in the middle of this right now when it's very hard to love her or hard to work through this, this season or situation? How do I do it? 
God, how do I maintain spiritual zeal when you seem distant and apathetic and like you don't care and you're not listening to my prayers? How, God, am I supposed to stay spiritually hot when it seems like you're so cold and far away? How do I do that, God? God, how do I stay confident in prayer when you're not answering my prayers? How do I stay faithful to believe and keep asking you when it seems like you're ignoring? God, how do I stay interested in your word when I'm reading it, but I'm getting nothing out of it? I need wisdom. I need to know what to do in the middle of this situation. And he says he's going to show you what to do. He's going to give you wisdom. He doesn't withhold it. He's going to give it to you. But there's a condition. What's the condition? Verse 6. He says, but... I heard somebody say one time that, that, that if somebody says, is talking to you and they tell you all these wonderful things and then they follow it with the word but, just forget everything they said before the word but and what really matters is what they say after it, right? <laughs> but, watch this. Someone's going to get set free here. Watch this. He says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You say, ah, God's got an out. I can't do that because no matter what I ask for, there's always going to be an element of doubt in my heart. Always, always going to be. Always an element of, of maybe or what if or why not or I'm too messed up or there's always a reason for me to doubt. And so if I'm to have perfect faith and I can't expect that I, I'm going to get anything from God without perfect faith, I, I might as well not even ask because it's just never going to happen. No, 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 no. That's not the idea. See, the faith, remember, what is the faith? The faith is the path, right? The trial of your faith is what I believe, all right? In other words, what he's saying is that when I ask, I'm to ask with the resolve that this is the path that I'm walking on. In other words, when the test comes, I'm not saying maybe I'll do it God's way and maybe I'm going to do it my own way. I'm not sure yet. I'm undecided. That's wavering. Maybe I'm going to stay with my wife. Maybe I'm going to leave her. That's wavering. Maybe I'm going to trust God and wait on him to provide or maybe I'm going to go to Atlantic City and just bet on black. I'm not sure yet. I haven't decided. That's wavering. To be in faith and unwavering is to be resolved in my heart that I'm going to do it God's way. I want to do it God's way. I believe that that's the way I'm supposed to do it. Don't know how I'm going to do that right now, but that's what I'm going to do. That's what it means to ask in faith. I'm asking in the path that God has set me on. I'm asking in his way. And so, God, I'm going to do this the way that you tell me to. I just don't know how right now or why this is happening. That's what it means to ask in faith. I'm not wavering. Yeah, maybe I will. I'm not sure. That's wavering. I'm to ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord, for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded means I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm not sure if I'm going to walk with God in this or I'm not. No, 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 that's not the way we're to be. We're to be, no, Lord, I believe. 
I'm settled. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The way, the truth, and the life. God's word applies not because of me, but because of him. I can stand on it. I can be sure in it. It's tried seven times, God. If I do it your way, it's going to work out. I know that. That's where I'm going to be. doesn't make sense right now. This trial is testing that belief, but I'm not moving from where I am right now. God, I need wisdom. God says, granted. I'm going to give it to you without upbraiding. And then he finishes the, the, the segment by saying, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich, in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof fails, falls, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in all of his ways. So the poor is the hungry, the climbing, and the spiritually ambitious, contextually. And so that's a good place to be because I'm pursuing the things of God and I can only go up from there. The rich in this context, the rich is the person who's self-satisfied, who's complete in their own mind, who's content, full, complacent, and satisfied. That person can only move downward. But he says, let them rejoice in whatever position they're in. The lowly, let them rejoice that they're moving upward. The the, the rich rejoice that God's going to bring you down so that you can go back up. Because he's not going to leave you even in that place that you are. And then he finishes by saying, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, the trials, the testings, the challenges, and the difficulties. You're going to have a blissed life. Blessed is the person that endures, whose patience has been developed to the point where they persevere long enough to see God's resolution in a situation. Because what you're going to find is that God's ways lead to pure joy, all joy, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Blessed is the person that endures the testing, for when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And so God ultimately is working us towards the blessing of walking in the fullness of his joy. The path is this faith, what God says. This is, this is where we stand. This is what we believe. This is what we're walking in. That's the path. The process is that it will be tested and that we are called to develop patience in those testings So that God can work into us a deep faith that isn't just in my head, but it's in my heart, it's in my nature, it's in who I am. So that I can be complete and perfect, impenetrable by Satan's attack. And the end result of that is that there's going to be a fullness of joy that cannot be taken from me. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he's been tested... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And so may the Lord give us wisdom in the circumstances that we're in right now. May he give us resolve that we're not going to move from his way, regardless of what we feel like doing or what seems easier at the time or in the moment or what seems rational to the human mind, or what the world tells us is the way that we're to handle things, that we're set on saying, no, God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change or waver with culture. And I'm going to walk in God's ways and in God's word. 
in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.